I'm Stephanie Overbuck. I'm Mel Wymore. And this is Pot of Gold. We're still living in the middle of a pandemic, passing 5 million deaths worldwide from the coronavirus just this last week. It's hard to wrap our heads around the challenges we've faced over the past 20 months. But moments like this also give us the opportunity to examine the way we live so we can improve our future. How can we live better together? In this episode, we speak with New York City controller Scott Stringer about the future of our cities, what we can do to transition out of the pandemic ready to face the other major challenges of our time, like poverty and climate change. Take a listen to Scott. Uh, well, my name is Scott Stringer, New York City controller, lifelong New Yorker who grew up in Washington Heights and grew up back in the 1970s when there were like 2,000 murders a year and the A train was a rolling crime scene. And my mother always used to say to me, you got to sit in the conductor car because that's where it was safe. Now I'm happy to say that kids don't even know there's a conductor in the car, meaning we've come a long way in the city. But there's something magical about New York and something amazing. And even though we're in the midst of this pandemic, uh, it's never too early to start thinking about the comeback. And Mel, I won't even tell people how long we know each other. It's <laughs> yeah. a very long time. So it's great to be on the podcast. Wonderful. Well, since you started off in the 1970s, you know, and the kind of New York that was, the gritty kind of crime-ridden place, and we've come so far, what do you attribute the progress and where have we succeeded and maybe where have we failed uh, as a city? I've actually thought a lot about that in my own history. And, you know, for me, the 1970s is where I came of age, but it was also a time of great challenge for the city because it was during the economic crisis where the city literally almost went bankrupt. Washington ignored our pleas. If you remember the famous Daily News headline, Ford to New York drop dead. My mom, who was a single parent raising two teenagers, actually was running for city council and actually got elected during that time period. And my cousin, Bella Abzug, was running for mayor. So for me, this was just like a way of life. And what I think happened back then, after all the alignment to the business community and the labor community and all the hard work that went into governing the city, I think what happened was the pioneers of our neighborhoods didn't leave. They actually stayed and fought through it. And that has actually been the story of New York. The people who put down their roots, they come here from all over the world. They love the city. They marvel in our diversity. And ultimately, they don't want to leave. And they want to be advocates and activists. And this is true whether you're an engineer, an architect, someone in the arts and culture, someone who's a social justice act activist. This is the story of New York. And we, once again, are at a moment in time uh, when we have a new economic challenge. It's the post-pandemic challenge where leaders are going to have to step up. But you really can't do this work without the people in the neighborhoods. And that is what I think is so critical to the New York comeback that we're about to write. Yeah, that's that's really insightful. And that's kind of the kind of people we talk to in general on this podcast are local adv advocates for sustainability, activists who are organizing their, their local communities around community gardens or green streets or new currencies, things like that, where change is really coming up from the bottom. But we also recognize that it requires kind of a partnership with government, whether that's local government 
or national government. And you seem to have a lot of experience in government. <laughs> it sounds like you have a political family, not just you. Maybe you could give us an example um, you know, about how that partnership between those activists and that local government works. Well, the one thing that we know in this pandemic is so many of our local activists actually were the frontline heroes. Whether you were the grocery delivery person, the nurse or the doctor, the person who went and actually went into people's homes without proper masking because we didn't know about that, to get people to the hospital. Uh, these are the heroes. These are the New York stories that we should tell uh, during the pandemic and after the pandemic. You know, my mom died of COVID and she, she went by ambulance to the Bronx hospital she was in. I have no idea who those heroes were, but my sense was she was one of the first to die. And there were heroes along the way, uh, heroes and sheroes along the way. And that is, shows the grit of our city. And that is why as we rebuild the city, we can't just build it back. We can't open the economy the same way we closed it, right? Because one of the things we learned about this virus is that it really is the great discriminator. I remember talking to the doctor at my mom's hospital in the Bronx and he said, you have to understand, this is not a disease that only hurts or kills older people. This is a disease that is killing people in their 50s and 40s who are black and brown because we have seen communities that suffer from uh, health disparities and we never close those disparities. We've managed people's illnesses. So you know this from your community board days, right? Uh, how many times have we seen in communities of color the siting of a bus depot station or some peaker plant that ends up polluting the whole community and causing cancer and illness and suddenly COVID came and said, we, this virus will come for the people who already were inflicted, but government was part of that decision. And so the next mayor, we have has to think about how to open the city differently and reimagining not just the economy, but how we're gonna invest in all our communities. It will be the ultimate challenge to right a wrong that has been part of the planning process of the city for 50 years. And I would argue, what a great time to think about what New York City would be in a post Robert Moses era. Less cars, more open space, bike lanes, just building a healthy city uh, with the federal stimulus money we're gonna get and with some very good community-based planning. Absolutely. Good point, yeah. <laughs> You know, New York is also unique in that it's both a global headqu financial headquarter as well as a place where we see extreme poverty. And, you know, we have this kind of rich, poor gap in the city in everyday life. We see it everywhere. How would you, how do you expect to address that? that? How do you make a, an economy that's more inclusive, that brings that global power, but also uplifts that local you know, you know, we talk about managing healthcare. We should also stop managing poverty. We have to do very bold things. First, we need a real low-income housing program. Uh, we haven't had that in the last eight years. Basically, our housing program has been aligned more with revenue luxury developers than building the low-income housing we need. 30% of the people in homeless shelters actually have jobs. They just can't find an apartment. So I would do I would access the city-owned property we have, turn that property over to community-based organizations to build low-income housing. Problem is a lot of these luxury developers, I mean, they're not even family-owned anymore. They're big REITs. They couldn't get 
you know, they couldn't get to an AMI for a community if they tried. It's just not how they're built. I don't criticize them. If you want to build luxury housing, call them. But if you want to build low-income housing, call the community organizations that do this work. And I think that should be prioritized. The other thing is when we think about poverty, we also have to think about how we can upskill our workforce. And right now, a lot of the retail jobs that poor people or people who make less money were able to access have disappeared. We've lost 520,000 jobs in small businesses. But we are seeing probably that the next set of jobs are going to be in IT and telehealth, and it's going to require some upskill, right? And I have a proposal that would make community college free, uh, cost $160 million, which is a lot less money than the Thrive program. And I would create certificates, specialized certificates, so we can get people the skills they need to re-enter the job market. That lifts people out of poverty. So when you upskill, when you build affordable housing, and then when you have a small business plan, because we cannot lose any small businesses, that's where the jobs are. Once we do that, we are starting to lift people out of poverty. But let's not stop there. We need big ideas. And one thing we must do is triple the number of childcare slots in the city for poor people. We have this false choice for people, mostly women, mostly women of color, uh, which is you make a choice. If you can't have childcare, you stay home with your child. So you come out of the workforce. You're stuck in this poverty situation, taking care of your kid. Everybody knows that brain development, zero to three, 80% of that brain development occurs, occurs in the youngest children. So I give Bill de Blasio great credit for pre-K. I really do. One of a great signature issue. But imagine if we tripled the childcare slot zero to three now, have companies pay a little bit more in their payroll tax, create a revenue stream. And now you're talking getting people out of poverty because now you can go back to the workforce. You can get your kid the education that he or she needs. And then when you couple it with upskill and when you also invest in small businesses, suddenly you've got a real opportunity for people. Yeah, I mean, the, the uplifting of, of through education is obviously one area and it's certainly critical. And I noticed that in the national debate, we've talked a lot about universal basic income or some other kind of method to reduce the pressure on people in poverty. Would you be supportive of a program like that? Or how do you see it fitting in? I like, look, I like a national UBI because it could be meaningful for poor, for the poorest people. That's part to me of what a UBI system is all about, investing in people who are struggling to give them a floor for them to live their lives and beyond. Um, that is that is what I believe. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you talk about um, in, you know, like activists and innovators being kind of the core of, of New York. But I don't always see New York as the most innovative city compared to some of the other cities we've mentioned, like Copenhagen and even some in South America. Do you think that New York could become kind of, is there a particular action that would make New York be more innovative, more progressive in terms of a future that, you know, includes everyone and is good for the planet too? Okay. You know, one of the reasons why, you know, we have elections is to reset the dial. And if we could build an administration that reflects the challenge, the new challenges of the city, and we really focus on capacity building in a transition, uh, we can meet these challenges. And then 
when you say, let's reimagine the streets, we'll actually have people who understand how to do that. When we talk about the economy, we'll bring in the people who are more focused on helping poor people, not only the rich people. And that's all about having a Rolodex and convincing people that this service is worthy. And when I talk to people at Zoom parties and house parties on politics, raising money, people are excited. You know, they're like, you know, wait a minute, maybe I'm going to, it doesn't mean everyone's going to work in the administration, but get people off the sidelines saying, you know, I want to help Broadway come back. I have an arts background. Uh, I love our museums. I want to help, but I also want to develop programs so that kids in all city schools can enjoy. This is, this is the new painting that, that, that we, we're going to start with. And, and I think that's exciting. So you have a process of how you basically harvest all these dreams and basically have about nine million dreams out, out here in New York, right? Um, how do you harvest them all? You know, so I, I was talking about that the other day. There's eight, there's over eight million stories in this city. And every story, is, it's absolutely, we're on the same page. But it's true. Everyone has a story. That's the greatest thing in the world. And we have to, through, the, through our policy work, we have to honor those stories. And every, there's so many single moms out there, single dads out there, people who raise kids against all the odds. I mean, they're the pulse of the city. For every story about somebody who made a billion, there's somebody who raised a family and, you know, created future doctors and lawyers and artists, and they did it on a lot less money, right? And so we do have to get back to this being a story of all of us and not just the top 1% or the most powerful people in the city. You know, I, can we get a little bit specific about some of the ways in which New York doesn't really work? For example, waste. You know, New York with 8 million people, a lot of waste comes out of New York. What are some of your ideas about how to address that and to reduce the waste and or recycle in a way that's meaningful? Well, look, I've always thought that now is the time, given people's con consciousness, to expand composting and recycling and start driving uh, a waste management system that is more inclusive and forward thinking. And, you know, it's becoming also a good way to do business. And so rather than have clunky trucks around the city, there are different ways to approach it. And uh, I do think that's part of what I call the back office, the back office of government, you know, no mayor, It's like when I said to people, I'm going to fix the back office of the pension fund, and I start to tell people how we did it, you know, people's eyes roll over, right? You talk about waste, people pretend to be listening to you, Mel, for about a minute, and they go, let's talk about, you know, anything but, right? You do bring up a good point, because if you don't invest in, in new technology and a green city, you end up having plastic garbage bags strewn around the city, especially in tough economic times. And we do have a rat infestation problem. We've got rats that walk upright now on the subways. They come up to me and say, Mr. Controller, how are you today? I say, carry on. I mean, where's the planning, right? Well, the best way to get rid of the rats is don't feed them every day. And that's a different management, different technology. And I think we should utilize it. Okay, so then let's move on to some more, some kind of even farther out ideas. You know, we know that, You mentioned affordable housing, and obviously uh, housing is a huge issue for the city and many cities around the world, how to create affordable housing. And so far, the ideas have been pretty um, 
I don't know, like not too in- innovative, you know, inclusionary housing, tax breaks, things like that. Um, same with preservation. There's not, not a lot of innovation going. How would you preserve some of the city's built fabric without bankrupting the city or, or the owners of those buildings? Um, so one of the, th- some of the ideas that come up for us are things like creating um, maybe even new publicly uh, managed or locally managed currencies that could be used to tr- to where the city has resources and matching those resources with some of the needs in the city and creating a little economy um, that's not just based by based on billionaire developers coming in. Uh, what kind of resistance would that kind of an idea meet? Look, no, I look, I, I think you know, you know, a, a localized economy. Uh, that meets the needs of low-income people is certainly something we should be exploring. But let me let me say, we have to be bigger and bolder because this crisis is not about only experimentation, it's about implementation. And we need a new housing plan and we cannot have a housing plan with luxury developers. So I believe that we should access the thousand vacant parcels of city-owned land, give them to community-based organizations. We should reform the 421A program so that we use the subsidy to build low-income housing. Right now, over the last seven years, we've built housing and we've built affordable housing. But the problem is, for the most part, that housing has been unaffordable, affordable housing in many of our communities because we were just worried about a number not actually building out communities. So what I would do is one, access that city owned property. Two, we gotta end this as of right development. We have we, we basically say this development is as of right, meaning the, the luxury developer gets to build luxury development. I would stay, I would cancel that. What I would say is that every quote unquote, as of right development has to set aside 25% affordable housing. Plain and simple. I mean, how are we going to integrate our schools on the Upper West Side if we don't have affordable housing or low-income housing on the West Side? Uh, that is why I said, look, let's upzone Soho if we're going to rezone. But this all has to be about community-based planning and driving a consensus. But I would say we have a housing emergency. So if we're going to build new, we're going to build 25% set aside. And we'll target that 421A subsidy to actually go to a low income housing plan. That's the way we change the city and we build a city for the middle class. Right now we have a glut of luxury development that no one can afford because no one's paying the rent. So what do we do to ourselves, right? We built these vacant skyscrapers. We created a homeless crisis that we're now spending $3.2 billion a year maintaining. We doubled that investment over the last seven years. And what are we getting for it? Yeah, it's a huge business. You know. The real estate industry. And, uh, but so is affordable to, housing. It's yeah, a huge yeah. business if we can make it work. That's what I'm talking about, shaping an economy, creating a market that works. No, no, no question. Yeah. 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 Now, you actually, with, with these ideas, you bring in bits of Zurich and uh, Munich. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to get some guests and say, you know what they're doing in New York, right? <laughs> They ended as of right development. See, that, this is the goal, right? Well, as of right development is kind of a New York thing, though. Not, I mean, the, the, the these European uh, cities that Stephanie's bragging about, they don't have as of right development. They are all controlled development. And, um, and that's where New York has kind of maybe made a wrong turn some, somewhere down the line. 
Yeah. Well, all I'm saying is that there's not one perfect city. You know, <laughs> now we've seen so much development all over the world, right? And I think we can go around basically shop of, of, you know, we don't basically have to reinvent the wheel. That's all I'm saying. We can see, okay, what worked for other cities? What was the situation? What can we bring? What don't we do? What don't we do? And where, where are the big ideas there and how to harvest them? I think this Look, I think these are the kind of conversations that we should be having. I think the the notion of what a city should look like, be like, feel like, the kind of services that cities have to survive have to provide. I, I think it's a great, you know, it's 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 a great list of priorities. And I, I do think there will be a moment now about what is the future of urban America. It's not just New York City, but how we're gonna have to look at you know, LA and Chicago and all the big cities around the country. It's, you know, it's where everyone wants to live. Mm. It's where every kid dreams of coming. Now they mostly want to come to New York, not Copenhagen, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, I mean, I don't mean to, I will tell you, I'll, I'll end with a, with a funny story. So I'm doing this fundraising Zoom, right? I can tell you this, right? And someone asked me, well, what are we going to do about all the people who are leaving the city? And I said, look, at the end of the day, no one wants to live in Texas, right? <laughs> this is a true story. And I just say, because it's true. I mean, you know, we want Texans to come here. We don't want to go to Texas, especially with the crazy governors and COVID and the massless people, right? So you don't want to do that. So all of a sudden, my wife is on the call and she's hitting me in the ribs. Elise is just... And I'm like, okay, I'm not really, ins you know, I'm kind of kidding around. I'm not really insulting people. In Texans. <laughs> yeah. And she whispers to me, she says, the host is from Texas. <laughs> Good job, Scott. So, so what do you do? Because I'm a politician. I tell them how much I enjoyed the show Dallas growing up. Oh, me too. <laughs> it, it, all, it all worked out. <laughs> So good. <laughs> Scott, thank you so much. This is awesome. Thank you. I'll be in touch with both of you. It's good to see you. And thank yeah. you. Yeah, Scott is facing quite a quite a challenge now because it's as New York is such a big city, um, is super complex. Um, and I think what's what's interesting to me, what I heard is this policy level, which is always very important in the United States. Now, it's all about policy. Well, and um, he said activism too, and how activists tend right. to create policy. Right. right. And then, how, yes, Shame. exactly. How does this then translate into the sort of the tangible new tools uh, for implementation? Right. Um, super interesting. We'll see what will come. And but the other really important thing I think we've, we've heard, and I think we've just seen it also, not just here in the United States, but of course, we've got a new president. So, um, whew, leadership. Yeah. The role of leadership and how crucial and important it is to have a good leader. Well, especially one that will listen to other leaders. A lot of people are going to be needed here. Right. Yeah, but it has a really, really special role in our democracy and in, in especially in, in the complexity of problems we are dealing with. And then when it comes down to a city level, uh, this is where, where it really matters. Cities are main polluters not i'm not talking about new york as you just told me that new york is not such a main polluter but cities in general in the world are the main polluters mm -hmm. we have a huge energy uh problem water problems waste problems um so it, it 
you know, we, we there is government is needed in, in those cities. Yeah, absolutely. We are an independent, listener-supported podcast. For the price of one latte per month, you can help fuel our work and keep our content untainted by commercial interests. For more exclusive content, join us on patreon.com or click donate on podofgold.world. Thanks to our producer, Riley Paul. I'm Mel Wymore. And I'm Stephanie Overbeck. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.